everyone. Welcome to the Trail Life Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Stoner. Thank you for joining me on yet another journey across the podcast airwaves. Uh, you know, I had to take an unexpected three-week break uh, from the show, um, and I felt that the conversation today was a great way to kickstart season five. Uh, we're talking about dog safety out on the trails, dog safety in general, heat stroke, rattlesnake bites, bee stings, what, what have you. Uh, about three and a half weeks ago, uh, my wife and I lost our two-year-old French Mastiff, and we lost him to heat stroke. His dog walker had him out there a little bit longer than what she should have and didn't understand the symptoms or the signs of heat stroke. Uh, and after he collapsed, she kept him out there for an extra 30 minutes in the sun. Very little water, nothing to cool him off with. And by the time that my wife could get to him, he was already well past where he should have been to get him to the vet. And whether that's on her or whether that's on the company that she works for, I don't know. But I felt that this conversation should happen. Uh, I see it out there all the time. I see dogs on the trails with runners. I see them, you know, everybody's always walking them around the city streets. But I think we should under have the understanding of what symptoms of heat stroke look like, what symptoms of a rattlesnake bite look like, just so we can take the opportunity to help them out. And I'm just hoping this conversation helps one person, helps one dog, uh, because it's it was brutal. Like to have to watch my dog suffer uh, when we got him to the vet, trying to breathe, trying to trying to get out of it, and he just couldn't. So we eventually had to put him down. And to know that that was preventable, being in the right situation. So to to start this conversation and get this thing going, uh, I brought in an emergency vet doctor and. I can't thank her enough for for joining me today to talk about this. So let's just get right into it. There's a lot of information here. Welcome to The Trail Life, Dr. Stephanie Ozarzak. Well, help me turn the turning. Well, help me get it right. I don't want to hurt nobody. Well, I don't want to fight. I'm going to totally slaughter the last name. So could you? <laughs> it's so Charchak. Uh, most of the time when I introduce myself in the clinic, I just say, most people just call me Dr. O. Again, I appreciate you jumping on and talking about this. And we had a very brief uh, conversation prior to this and just talking about why we're talking about this. Um, as I had referenced to you, we lost our two-year-old uh, French Mastiff. Uh, it's now been three and a half weeks. So it's lost him to, to heat stroke. Um, and it's, I don't really know if it was because uh, the dog walker really just didn't know the symptoms or just didn't understand it. I, I, who who knows at this point? Anyway, I, I, I see it out there all the time. There's runners out on the trails with their dogs. There's obviously people who walk around the city streets with their dogs and I don't know if a lot of people understand what heat stroke looks like um, with a dog and what they can do, you know, to help prevent that. So that's why we're on this conversation today. We're also um, going to talk about dog safety in general. So rattlesnake bites are a huge thing uh, for trail runners. Um, so we want to, I want to definitely want to cover that. But let's start with the heat stroke aspect of it, and and for this, for the purpose of this conversation. Uh, we'll keep it to the trail running perspective uh, because I think that's a that's our the demographic we're we're talking with, but I think it's also important because you know trail runners are out in 
random areas without access to you know vets and getting some help really quickly. So I think it's important to for for trail runners to understand that the information here um, more important than anybody else. But what does heat stroke look like when it comes to being outside and, and does the how much of a factor does temperature play into all of this? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think the biggest, um, you know, the biggest concerns um, are obviously the direct sunlight, you know, and the fact that in the middle of the day, not only is that heat radiating off of, um, off of the sun, um, but it's also radiating off of the ground, intensifying that heat in the day. And then you have other predisposing factors, like if you have a short-nosed dog, which is called a brachycephalic, it's just a like general term for like flat-faced dogs. Yeah, Those more dogs like are- the more like the your like your bulldogs, your mastiffs, your boxers uh, scenario. Yeah, yeah, yeah. pugs, um, Boston terriers, um, but bulldogs are the main ones that we see. English bulldogs being overrepresented. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Um, the heat stroke and, and getting heat stroke. It can, you know, it, it basically manifests itself as like the, the reason, the reason why dogs can't is because they can't cool off their body really any other way other than like decreasing the outside temperature, which they'll try to like seek um, shade. And if you're ever trail running and your dog's like, you know, pretty resistant to like you stop for water and your dog's like sitting in the shade of a bush and like pretty resistant to moving from that spot. Um, that's a sign that like, you know, you should probably uh, stop and, and reassess your way down or back to your car. They like they pant quite frequently and especially with short nose breeds, um, like we call them ineffective panthers because basically all of the stuff that is in a like normal dog's face is now smushed into <laughs> a smaller face, um, and and ultimately what what happens is their soft palate, um, which is kind of like the uh, like tissue in the back of their throat, is hanging in like in front of their airway, and okay. so they start to breathe um, fast, and basically they they start to pant more and and then that causes more swelling in the back of their throat and then they pant even harder and it's a it's a like slow spiral downward from from there obviously like uh if if their gums are really red or if they're like turning blue that is you know they they look they look almost like murky like kind of like um like an algae green kind of deal or yeah. like maybe like a pink gray, then that would be a sign that, you know, they're, they're suffering from, from heat, heat stroke. Um, what heat stroke really is, is like the body temperature becoming elevated, like over, some people say 104 degrees or 105 degrees. Um, it really doesn't matter. I, I think, you know, basically what happens is when their body reaches that threshold of temperature, it starts to like break down all these proteins and proteins are really what the body is made of and what regulates the body. So, um, so it, 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 it's almost like, uh, I heard one criticalist describe it as like looking at an egg yolk 
um, and how much it changes color and texture when you put it on that frying pan. Oh, uh, yeah. Great much, analogy. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty much what the body is doing. It is like breaking down like and and, and that that causes you know, um, the severity, like of, of heat stroke and why it's so dangerous. So how long, I know it's, it's probably different for every, every dog breed. Like, is there kind of like a window where you start to see the gums start to change over? Is it, or is it just, it, it just kind of varies, you know, with the, with the temperature and the type of dog and the conditions that they're in. I mean, it's, obviously it's going to change that way, how fast heat stroke comes on versus you know it's just instead of having just a specific time frame yeah there's no there's no specific time frame um it's more uh like it's it's more like as their body warms up so sometimes that can be relatively relatively fast and so it's not it's not like a direct correlation um we you know we often ask the owners if they took the temperature at at home because some of them do or or if they've taken um this is more like if they're in a backyard but i mean the the biggest the biggest thing to do when you start to notice that your dog is like panting unwilling to move and um and really like uh looking looking like they're overheated um which uh, just as basically like us, like we, we don't want to move, like, you know, if you've ever, if you're an endurance trail runner and <laughs> you've ever hit that bonk of, um, you're like, Oh God, everything's cramping up and, yep. and that that's, and you're breathing heavy and your heart rate's high. Um, and it just won't seem to come down. Those are all, um, like those are all things that dogs do as well they you know people some dogs you know especially like people pleaser dogs like labs and <laughs> golden retrievers and all of that they'll they'll go you know and they'll and they'll push themselves because they want really to be you know with you and yeah. like us you know if you ever had a have a race that's been in the heat um and you're you're training to heat adapt essentially some people will try to do that with their dogs they'll try to like bring them out for like you know like 10 minute more like kind of um jogs and and work up to it some people will bring their dogs just on the weekends and we call that a weekend warrior syndrome where really their dogs aren't trained like them like where they're going out for runs every every day they're they're going out for a you know like a, a six to 10 mile like trail run and and really they're not you know they're not really trained trained for it so some people will like you know bring bring their dogs out but i will warn that like midday and anything really above like 75 degrees in the sun can can heat up um very very quickly i start seeing heat stroke in in the inland empire pretty significantly when like temperatures are over 90 degrees but these are these are like backyard dogs. These aren't like yeah. you know, dogs that are running on the trails. So really anything, you know, anything over your standards, like perfect San Diego, 75 degree <laughs> weather is, is going to be, is going to be hard for, for them. Yeah. How, so we talk about your snub nosed dogs versus uh, your longer nosed dogs, like a retriever. Like, what do you typically see? Like, or what's the percentage you usually see? Because I mean, obviously, it doesn't happen 
as easily for a dog like a retriever. So from just your personal experience, like what's the percentage of, of like the, like a retriever breed or a long nose breed um, that you see with heat stroke? Because again, we talk about, cause most of those, that's, that's the larger breeds that are going out and running is the retriever and, and those type of dogs. So. Yeah, I would, I would say like, not um, to be, to be fair, like not a lot of our heat strokes are, are those retriever breeds. We, mm-hmm. I live in an area where, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, I don't live in an area. I, I work in an area where, um, where like, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of bulldogs. Um, so I mainly, I mainly see bulldogs. I saw, we treated for six days, a, um, Bassett town. I think I was telling you yeah. about this, um, yeah. um, that he took on a six mile hike. Um, and he says, he's like, Oh, my dog normally goes on this hike. And, and it was just a hot day. Um, and he didn't really see the signs. Like he, like he was like three miles up a mountain before, <laughs> you know, but before he's like, Oh yeah. And then I have to run him down like three miles, three miles down. So, I mean, mo- most of the time, you know, your dogs that are trained to run, um, and, and run frequently with you, um, you'll, you know, those people are generally more in tune with what their, what their dog's limitations are. Yeah. Uh, No, I was just going to say like, it's, it's kind of a good way to segue. You're talking about the, you know, your, your patient that came in with his basset hound, like, you know, he gets up there three miles into the trail and notices this thing. So now he's got to, now you got to get your dog down, but you also have to be safe with this. So what are, what are some of the things that a runner can do that's on hand that can help the dog out? I mean, are you, should, should a runner expect to like, if you know you're going to be taking your dog out, should you be expecting to take extra water uh, for them uh, in your pack to help them cool off? Like what, like what are some of the things that somebody in that situation where they're three miles out from their car and they got to get their dog back, you know, safely, like what, what should a runner know? about about keeping that dog safe yeah that's a that's good um so like i I think i think there's like one keeping keeping the dog safe and then two treating it after it already happens i mean keeping keeping your dog safe is is more like learning to like look for uh look for the signs that we've already talked about and 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 yes definitely bringing water for your pet if you need water they need water like that, that is a general you know general rule I have like a um, like collapsible bowl uh, that you know I I just put onto my Camelback and and then I can you know use that to put water in. Some people have their dogs trained where they can you know get sports like uh, sport bottles, um, and I think that's really cool. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know if your if your dog can learn to drink from one of those, you know whatever whatever water you you know you think you need probably bearing like one and a third or one and a half of that it's a lot to carry um but you just don't i mean you yourself don't want to be out of water and then where you can't think um and then you don't want your dog to be out of water that being said if your dog's already experiencing signs of like heat stroke then you don't want to like try to make your dog drink a ton of water. It's, it's that, that's not the most effective way to, um, to treat it while, you know, okay. while on trail. 
Um, why, because, why, why is, yeah, why is that? Um, because it doesn't really cool them down. Um, like you can get them water, but like, it, it's like not really cooling them from the inside. Um, and it can, like, if you're like kind of trying to like pour water into your dog's mouth, it can also lead to like aspiration pneumonia, yeah. which is a whole other like problem <laughs> yeah. then. Yeah. Um, but basically, you know, if, if you're bringing your dog in, into a pretty remote area, um, there are like kind of heat resistance, like uh, tarps you, you, you can get like that fold up, like pretty, pretty small that you can actually like journey, <laughs> not journey your pet, but like, like, it's almost like a, like um, you would carry somebody out on a blanket or something like that, that like, again, fold up um, uh, in pretty like tight camping camping gear you probably i don't have a brand name in mind Helinox is usually what i what i use for like uh, like lightweight camping gear but yeah it, it would it would be helpful to have something to transport them if, if you cannot carry them yeah uh, um one of the things that i, I don't know and I, I don't know how valid this is but when let's say you know you don't want to like you said you don't want to get your dog too much water but trying to put water on them does yeah how much of it is and I, i've always been told like oh if they're if they're hot like get their bellies wet or is it something where you just want to get their coats wet like what's the proper way to start cooling off your dog from the from the outside basically like you can wet like like if you have a towel with you or you can wet your shirt um and like and like kind of um place it on their like like on um their like armpits and their groin region um i'm a big fan of like when we cool a dog down in the clinic we cool their chest first because if you think about it all of the air and all of the circulation is going through okay. the thoracic cavity and so I'm, I'm not a big fan of like like cool like wasting water to cool down their like um paws some people will say like you can do rubbing alcohol um, on their pet paw pads. I don't really think that like it hasn't been proven to really help. I was going to um, say, what's rubbing alcohol really going to do? I don't. Yeah. It's not like you're not going to have it on a trail and like, yeah. <laughs> and um, it's not, it's not a, an efficient way to, to cool them. You're going to want to like, if you're, if you're like kind of in an area where there is, and shade um, depending on what trail you are running on um, then obviously moving them to a, a shaded area if there's like a cool rock um, like that would be really great because it would like basically like act as a cooling mechanism from yeah. you know from, from the outside um, a lot of a lot of these guys how on how they do afterwards is like directly correlated with how the amount of time that their body temperature is elevated beyond that threshold. So like people worry about like what we're going to say when they come, like when, you know, um, that we, they bring their like ripping wet dog into the clinic. I don't really care. Like, I just, you know, like I, I would rather like, we have seen, we have seen it all. So, yeah. I mean, never worry about like what we're going to think, but, um, it, it's, it's more, you know, cool it like having having that water that extra water too will be helpful if you if you can cool them if you can cool yep. them down. 
in um, in that in that situation, and I'm sorry to interrupt. In that situation, let's say uh, somebody gets their dog off the trail and gets yeah. them into the car, air conditioning on, whatever it is. Do you would you recommend still taking them to uh, the vet to the emergency room just to on a precaution situation, or you know, just getting like I, I don't know. I guess for me personally, I would probably go right to the vet just to make sure that everything is okay. But you definitely will get those people that will like, Oh, and he's in, they're in the, they're in the air conditioning now. They'll be fine. Let's sit here for a little bit and do it and, and just go home. Like, what would you, I mean, would you just suggest yeah. that people just go to the vet just to be on the safe side? I mean, I, I would, um, it's better to treat these early and make sure that they don't have any, like they don't have any problems. Your local vet may have the ability to run plotting times, but maybe not. Um, like, so you want to probably direct towards a larger facility, but I have seen dogs that like, where they're like, oh, well, I brought him inside and, and watched him for three hours and, and, and like, he didn't do well. And essentially you're, you're already three hours behind on treatment. And, and so it's, that's, that's challenging because some of these guys, you really just, you know, they can pull them off and watch their labs, like, um, like their laboratory values. Um, usually I'm doing blood work and clotting times, um, because the uh, clotting factors are proteins that get, um, broken down, um, and that cause bleeding tendencies, which you can see that show up as like bruises and, um, and like multi like vocal, like, um, kind of like, like spotty red blotches, um, that are, that are just like the head of a pin. But I, a lot of times if we, if we watch these guys throughout the day and, and like we, we test their blood, blood work, you know, 12 hours later and it's fine. We send them right home, you yeah. know? And, and so, yeah, it would be like a day in the, in the vet's office potentially, or going to an emergency clinic but it's so much better than being behind on treatment. Yeah. I want to shift gears to the other side of things that a lot of trail runners have to worry about, whether it's, uh, you know, for them personally or for their dogs is rattlesnake bites. Yeah. I mean, we see that, especially here in, in uh, you know, within the Southwest or in San Diego inland areas, you know, there's a lot of rattlesnakes that pop out on the trails midday. What, what happens you know, when, as far as, and I assume that it's a human getting bit by a rattlesnake and a dog getting bit by a rattlesnake is pretty similar into what could happen, but what should runners watch out for if um, all of a sudden their dog does get bit by a rattlesnake? The most common types of rattlesnakes that you're going to encounter, I mean, the most common types of snakes that you're going to encounter are crotalids, which are your rattlesnakes, your copperheads, your cotton mouth. Um, very few of these guys are, um, are like coral snakes. So I have like, that's more like Texas and like Florida. Yeah. Um, uh, so I was kind of focusing on rattlesnakes and, and such, um, they make up like 99% of, of snake bites. And so, I mean, the biggest times to, uh, of the year to watch out for these guys, um, are, are spring and fall. Um, well, mostly spring it, it's because like the, there's now like little teenage rattlesnakes going around and they don't really know how to control their venom. And so uh, the smaller snakes tend to be worse because they don't know how to control their venom. The more adult snakes, you know, tend to, they, they just want to like 
immobilize their prey. And so obviously, you know, your dog, your dog goes up to a bush and you like, if you can spot the snake and like identify it or just kind of like, like snap a quick picture by like, like from afar, you don't need to kill that snake. So like, don't, don't risk yourself. Uh, <laughs> to kill that snake. We don't, we don't actually need the dead snake to like sleep the dog. <laughs> um, and, and about like 25% of these bites are like dry, meaning they don't, they don't get any venom. So they just like the dog yelps. Um, they're hurt, like in, in a sense, but like their, their limbs or their faces don't like swell up. Those are co- probably the most common places. And, um, and uh, male dogs tend to be like more like mischievous um, <laughs> and, uh, and get, get bit. The, the, the most dangerous part like of a dog that can get bit is like, obviously the, the face and neck because that swelling can um, compromise the airway. Things you, okay, so things you do want to do um, <laughs> is, is basically just like, if, if you have a dog that's like constantly in bushes and you like, you can, you can put like a basket muzzle on them um, so they're not like bothering um, a, a, a snake, but um, it does in like getting back to like their ability to pants, it does kind of like, can inhibit that a little bit they like you you basically just need to keep your pet calm you can and and go into go into your vet as soon as possible because like you don't want to cut out like cut over the fang marks like the the sucking out the venom that does not help um (laughs) don't attempt to do that (laughs) and then like you know obviously like don't touch the area more than it needs to, um, needs to happen. Um, like some people will be like, Oh, I have pain meds at home, but mo- like most of those pain meds are like non-steroidal anti-inflammatories or steroids thinking that they're going to bring down the swelling, but they're actually con- like contraindicated in, in snake bites. The best treatment for a snake bite is going to be anti-venom. A lot of vet hospitals, I'm sure in East County, San Diego are going to, are going to have that. Generally, once they get the anti-venom, as long as their as long as their blood work looks fine, like hours later, we we boot them out, you know, and and then it's just weeks of like waiting for that swelling to you know to go down. But if it's a large amount of venom, then it, you know, and they could require multiple doses. But the the biggest concern is that like it 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 basically like um, prevents. Like, like it basically stops clotting. And it, so, you know, the, the anti-venom is going to like bind up all the circula- circulating venom. Kind of touching on vaccines real quick. The jury is really divided uh, on whether rattlesnake vaccines actually help or not. That's interesting. That was, that, that was going to ask you about that because we had, we had a, a bulldog years ago. And that was kind of one of the first things that our, it was our very first bulldog, very first dog together as a, you know, as a married couple. And, and our vet was like, yes, definitely get the rattlesnake venom. And then every single uh, vet that we've had ever since then has been, uh, it's no, it don't worry about it. You know? So it's, it's quite interesting to hear you say that same thing as, is it's back and forth. It, it is. And like, and, and so you'll, you'll, you know, it's a, they call it practicing medicine for a reason, but like really um, they yeah. don't look at like, if it helps, it's like what, what their thoughts are is like maybe it can decrease the severity um, 
or like give you a little bit more time on trail, like that 15, like to 30 minutes or before they're yeah. like face balloons up. But it like, regardless, you're, you're probably looking at going, going to the vet. Most of these guys yeah. aren't, aren't compromised right out. So like you can get them safely down, like by just like, like walking and, and like jogging, your dog won't be like, it's not going to get bit. And then like, fall over and collapse, you know? <laughs> right. So there is some, there is some time to, there is some time to get them out and to the vet. Um, it's not yeah. just going to be an immediate deal. So, yeah. I mean, the biggest thing is like the biggest thing in these scenarios is don't panic. <laughs> Cause like if you're panicking, nobody's in control. Well, exactly. Well, and the dog and the dog feeds off of that, right? They they understand yeah, that you're absolutely. you're not in the you're panicking, you're not in the right mindset, and they're gonna freak out a little bit. So uh, that's yeah. definitely a, definitely a good tip for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I mean, you like you you don't need to ice pack it. Like you know, it's not gonna like like and 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 don't if it's if, if your dog gets bit on a limb, don't tourniquet it. It's like you run you run more risk then you do benefits there like it's you know all the things you see in like old school movies for what they did for snake bites don't do any of those (laughs) (laughs) got it (laughs) um so the point is 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 if they get bit get out of there get them to the vet and yeah get them get them taken care of don't 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 try and suck the venom out. Don't don't try and tourniquet everything. You're Just, gonna get bit in the face if like, yeah. like put your lips that close to like your 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 dog. They're gonna be like, why are you trying to make out with me? And, yeah, <laughs> and and more freaked out than like than helpful. Yeah. <laughs> they're they're already a little freaked out. So yeah, exactly. I think that if you're like if your dog is like that type of dog that puts head in bushes and all that, like there are like rattlesnake aversion classes um which can be actually very helpful but that being said i have treated dogs that like have gone to those classes and they're like oh we went to the rattlesnake uh, aversion class and like we thought it was going to be helpful but i guess not um (laughs) i i mean i think i think that it helps with like uh recall and like you know and 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 having it's basically in like an obedience class (laughs) so I mean, it does help in that aspect, but you know, like you're still, you're still like at risk, obviously like sundown and sunrise are going to be your, like your like hard, hard times, uh, which are exactly the times that you, we would want to go to prevent heat stroke. So, um, I think, I think, (laughs) I, you know, I think there's like inherent risks of like trail running and uh, like in, in general, and obviously, you know, having dog like right by your side is is actually very helpful um so like you know having good recall and having good um like heal capability um is gonna keep them out of danger's way um i think that's a great point i one of the one of the things that i hate the most about leashes is those retractable leashes oh my god yeah those are the worst things that i think any dog owner can own and I feel like, yeah, it gives your dog a little bit more freedom to walk around, but the, but it takes you so long to get the dog back to you. The dogs are always all over the place. You, can, you can't control them as well. Like those things should just be, in my personal opinion, I think they should be banned and, and not 
made anymore because they're the there's some of the worst leashes that you can possibly have especially if you're out on trails with them because yeah. the dogs are just everywhere up in the bushes and i'm like come on people <laughs> it drives yeah. me crazy to yeah. see that and i'm sorry if i offend anybody that i say that but it's the truth it's it is not the proper leash to have with your dog on the trail or anywhere i think so if you're and if your dog is over 20 pounds like really like <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> the, there are like they you know there's so many companies that make um uh like non like non-hand-holding leashes like a, and when i say that i mean like um leashes that can go around your waist yeah um yeah and and you know that have that have some some give um i highly recommend those a collapsible dog bowl um, and then, you know, and then like some, some sort of like tarp, um, to carry, you know, to carry with you that like would be like a camping tarp kind of deal that, that like takes up minimal, minimal room in your camelback. Those, those things can all be really helpful. And then, you know, non, non, uh, like water. Um, when I say that I, I use tailwind a lot. So, I mean, if that's all you got, use it, um, yeah. it, going to be sticky it's fine um it doesn't matter uh but but yeah those are those are kind of the things that that i would that i would recommend bringing trail running you know i i really appreciate you um jumping on and talking about this and you know like i said that it kind of it hit home with me when when our dog passed away and and i felt it was very important that we get this information out there. And if it saves, you know, one dog, then, you know, it's, it's done its job. And, but I think it's definitely important that that people understand the symptoms and signs of it and what you can do and stuff. So I, I truly appreciate you jumping on, taking some time to, to just explain everything for us. Yeah, no problem. Um, I hope everybody stays safe and, uh, and, you know, if there's, you know, if you ever have a question about whether you bring your dog and in, in, into that, I would, I would definitely call, an ER, ER clinic, um, cause they'll be like, yay or nay, uh, on whether, you know, on whether you should bring them in. So like, you're not bothering us by like asking whether your dog needs to be seen or not. And so, it, you know, people don't know that they can call and just ask, but we're, that's what we're there for in like 24 seven. Good point. Thank you very much, Dr. O. I appreciate it. I, I appreciate you jumping on and talking to us about it. All right. Stay safe, everybody. The Trail Life Podcast is hosted and produced by me, Jeff Stoner. Music is provided by The Poor Dirty Astronauts with lyrics written by Matt Meyer. You can rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast by going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you stream your favorite podcast episodes. Thank you again, everybody, and we'll see you out on the trails real soon.